Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches are better for people, planet and profit. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our fortnightly edition of Circular Insights. Hello and welcome to episode 42. I'm recording this on the 3rd of December 2020. Winter's definitely started in the Yorkshire Dales, ice on the puddles earlier this week and a light dusting of snow on the tops of the hills this morning. I've been finishing the final draft for our linear risks guide, which we're going to use to help our coaching clients. It includes a comprehensive linear risks matrix across the value chain covering over 40 different risks, each with examples. And I'll be posting that matrix on social media in the next few weeks. We talked to Brian Bauer, who leads Circular Economy and Alliances at Algramo, a Chilean startup that refills consumer products by the gram from vending machines. Algramo's founder, Jose Manuel Muller, noticed a problem he calls the poverty tax when lower-income consumers buy products in very small, supposedly more affordable formats, but actually end up paying up to 40% more for the product compared to a larger pack size. Algramo's refill system helps solve this problem, allowing customers to purchase the quantity of products they need at bulk prices, making the sustainable option more affordable, equitable and convenient. There's kind of a nexus between the poverty tax and plastic pollution. And that is, there's two key drivers there. One is if you live in an underdeveloped area, there's typically less waste management facilities to capture waste. And then the other thing is when you, the smaller the format the packaging is, the more likely it is to escape into the environment or places it shouldn't be. The service already operates in thousands of family-owned stores that reach over 300,000 end customers in Santiago, Chile, and now has a mobile option using electric trikes. Algramo has recently expanded to the US with refill vending machines in New York City, where they're partnering with Colgate Palmolive and Clorox. We hear how Algramo is integrating technology too, including RFID tags to monitor usage. During lockdown, Algramo has developed an app so customers can take their empty containers to the store and use their smartphone to control the refill machine meaning they don't need to touch anything they haven't brought into the store. Let's meet Brian. Brian Bauer explores how we can use circular approaches for plastic packaging so we get the benefits of plastic without the impacts of mismanaged plastic waste. Brian works with Algramo, a Chilean startup that refills product by the gram from vending machines. Brian and the Algramo team are currently working with Unilever, Nestle and other brands developing game-changing packaging-as-a-wallet technology so their reusable packaging can communicate with Internet of Things-connected vending machines. This means people can use cashless payments and small volume purchases to buy things much more affordably. 
Brian's proposals have won awards for Algramo, including Top Idea in the Ellen MacArthur Foundation's $1 million Circular Design Challenge, the MIT Solve Circular Economy Challenge, and the National Geographic's Ocean Plastic Innovation Challenge. Brian's research on the Internet of Things and supply chain management won Harvard's 2017 Dean's Prize for Outstanding Sustainability Research. Brian, congratulations on all those awards and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you so much, Catherine. It's a pleasure to be here. And yeah, amazing to be on the Circular Economy podcast and part of the Rethink Global Movement. Thank you, and it's, and it's good to be talking to you in Chile today. And I'm curious to know how all of this got started. Can you tell us a bit about Algramo and how you got going with the refillable packaging idea? Sure, I'd be happy to do that. So Algramo is a seven-year overnight success story. So if we re- rewind seven years ago, Jose Manuel Muller founded Algramo. And it, the reason he found it is because he, was, he came into a situation that created a complex problem for him and his his roommates and his community around him. And he wanted to do something about that problem. So a little context on that is he he was living with his family and he was around 20 years old at the time. And he wanted to move out and move in with some friends as since he was a university student, he was studying economics and business and they moved out and moved out into, um, they were forced because they didn't have a lot of financial liquidity they had to move into a low-income area, and things changed a lot for him when he did that. And one of the big changes was he was in charge of buying food, and the way that people typically buy food in Latin America, and much of the de- developing world for that matter, is if they're in the bottom of the pyramid, is they buy from small family-owned neighborhood stores, and they buy in really small formats. So if you live in um, a developed area, and you have financial resources, you typically buy in larger formats. So we're, so we're talking about, say, a one liter, two liter, three liter size. But in these marginalized low income areas, people are forced to buy in very small quantities. And that leads to paying about 30 to 40% more on a per unit basis for that product. And Jose Manuel put a, a name on that and he called it the poverty tax. So while Grandma came into existence to solve that poverty tax, and there's, some, there's kind of a nexus between the poverty tax and plastic pollution. And that is, there's two key drivers there. One is if you live in an underdeveloped area, there's typically less waste management facilities to capture waste. And then the other thing is when you, the smaller the format the packaging is, the more likely it is to escape into the environment or places it shouldn't be. So Algramo came into existence to address those two interconnected issues. And Algramo started out with its own white label brand products, which were simply essentially competing directly against the big global brands. And they started out with a few vending machines, but quickly moved to more of an exchange system where you would buy the, you'd pay for the packaging and the product the first time. And then once you use the product, you'd bring the empty packaging back and exchange it for a full packaging. And Algramo was involved with the reverse logistics in that process. And they did that until about 2018, when they reached financial break-even after developing a network of about 1,500 stores. And around that same point, Jose Manuel had an epiphany, and that was that the, the, the problem or the enemy wasn't the brands that were putting the plastic into the environment. The problem or the enemy was the plastic itself. And he wanted to take, the, take El Gramo's business model when I forgot to mention an important thing too, is our reuse rates initially were less than 10%. And by 2018, they were over 80%. 
And going back to that epiphany he had that the plastic packaging is the enemy, he realized that if he wants to really have impact with El Gramo, he needs to work with the big brands that are putting most of the packaging into the, into the global economy, which ultimately ends up a lot of it and ends up escaping into the environment. So in 2018, we started talking with Unilever and we, the discussions were focused around Omo laundry detergent. And that's one of the top selling brands for Unilever in many markets across the world. And we started, we started those conversations mid, mid 2018. By mid 2019, the pilot got off the ground and was publicly launched. And it started to scale up significantly in early, basically in January of 2020. So yeah, it's kind of a quick overview of where El Gramo was and where it is today. Mm. And before I ask how you got involved, um, just going back to the Unilever thing. So did Jose Manuel approach them because of their sustainable living plan and Paul Pullman's um, you know, commitment to sustainability and the circular economy? Or was it something more about their position in local markets? I believe, I believe how, how it happened is that the Unilever's leadership in the sustainability field caught Jose's attention. Mm-hmm. And then Al Gramo, was in, he's a fairly high-profile entrepreneur here in Chile. So he was invited to an, I forget the exact name of it, but it's basically like an entrepreneurship innovation group that meets. And Unilever CEO, the Unilever CEO of Chile was there. His name is, Han, his name is um, Hans Evans. But unfortunately, he's left. He's working on a different project right now. But Hans and, and Jose Manuel met through that platform and started talking. And um, right, off, right off the bat, it was really promising. And there was major interest from Unilever to push this idea forward. And it's, it's going really well. Unilever is really happy with it. Agram really happy with it. And we're scaling it up quite mm. significantly. So one of those examples I love of when you set your mind in a certain direction and then fate steps in to lend a hand. Yeah, absolutely. And Brian, how did you get involved with Algramo? So I was doing um, a master's in sustainability and I had to do a capstone project and I wanted to do a capstone project with something with real world impact and real world potential. So I sent an email to Algramo and said, hey, I'm doing a sustainability capstone and would you guys like me to do a, a, a project on Algramo? And like literally 10 minutes later, I got a response and met them, went out, met them for a coffee and did my project on them. I won a, an award for um, top, top sustainability research. And shortly after that, I started working with El Gramo as their sustainability manager. And I've been working with them since then, going back to about 2016, mid-2016. So I understand from some of the research I've been doing on platforms like GreenBiz and so on, that Unilever is now testing several refill models, including Algramo, um, and that to incentivize reuse, the Algramo packaging is equipped with um, RFID, so radio frequency identity chips, that can track customer use and earn customers credit every time they f- refill the container. Can you tell us more about that and how that's going? Sure. So what the RFID technology enables is what we call packaging as a wallet. And one of the big motivations to create this system is six years of doing El Gramo, what we call 1.0, working through the family-owned neighborhood stores with reverse logistics. Reverse logistics are complex, expensive economically and environmentally, and we were motivated to use technology, RFID and Internet of Things technology, to kind of eliminate the need for those reverse logistics on the reusable packaging, because that can create a lot of convenience, cost savings, 
and like I said, those savings are both economic and environmental. So that's what we did. So what we what we're doing, if you think of um, a card to get into the metro, most most major cities in the world have a card, and you pay a certain you pay ten pounds or ten euros or whatever onto that card, and then you have ten ten units of credit to that card, and you can go to the metro x amount of times. We're taking that same idea and putting that into packaging. So with Unilever, we're using business as usual packaging for their Oma bottle. It's a three liter bottle. And we put the RFID sticker, which is not very expensive. It, um, there's a misconception. Some people think it adds a lot to the, to the cost of the packaging, but we're paying around 10 or 15 cents for our RFID tags. And then we put the label over top of it and that's how it works. So that enables the, the packaging to communicate with IoT connected vending machine and we have a payment platform that connects across brands and across products. You put money into the payment platform from a credit card, from a bank, from a fintech provider. And then you have money in that account and you can transfer it onto your packaging. In regards to the brands, Unilever is currently giving our OMO customers what we call a sustainable consumption credit. And I'll put some, put some numbers on that. So when a customer here in Chile buys, buys um, a liter of, Omo detergent from us. They're paying 2,500 pesos per liter. And for every liter they buy, they get 200 pesos deposited into that packaging for the next use. So that basically means there's close to a 10% discount on the next refill. And our regular prices at El Gramo are about 30 to 35% below the regular prices of most major supermarkets. Wow. And on top of that, we're giving, you're getting that sustainable consumption credit as well. Wow. So we're really proud of those cost savings yeah. we're able to pass on to the end consumer. So that really has um, you know, impacted the, um, the poverty tax that uh, drove uh, Jose Manuel to do this in the first place and creates tremendous opportunities for customer engagement for Unilever as well, um, you know, in terms of... of encouraging customers to come back and, and uh, you know, maybe communicating with them in, in other ways? Or, or is it all anonymous? Can, can Unilever communicate with the customer or is it just, just about the financial transactions? We haven't got to the point and we haven't really deeply explored if Unilever will be communicating directly with the customers. Theoretically, they could. We do have the customer information. We know how much product they bought. And we, could, we would be able to do that, but we'd obviously have to respect the privacy concerns of the customer mm, and sure. make sure they're comfortable with doing that before we did that. I just want to make one quick comment, though, on um, I like to put metrics in and a quantitative analysis on, some, on, on things so people understand it a little more clearly. But on the poverty tax, I was recently doing some research. And with El Gramo, people can buy a 500 milliliter, so a half liter quantity of dish soap. And that's a lot more expensive in retail if you don't have the financial resources to buy the full liter or 1.2 liter bottle that they typically sell. And with El Gramo, we're charging 1,600 pesos per liter. So if you buy the half liter, that's 800 pesos. And that's our regular price. And I should also mention too that that includes at-home free refills. So it's like essentially comes to your doorstep. You don't have to wow. go to the grocery store. And if you go to... Um, Walmart here in Chile, their regular price on that exact same Unilever deter uh, dish soap called Quicks is 1,890 pesos. So we're, they're effectively over 200% more expensive than we are. If you're in that unfortunate position where you're going to, where you don't have the financial liquidity to buy the big bottle and you're going to find the half liter bottle. Mm. 
So is there not a danger that um, the likes of Walmart and so on will push back against this? Or is it across too many products for them to to kind of target? You know, I'm thinking of um, if uh, if one of the... I won't name any retailers in the UK in case I end up slandering them, but, um, uh, you know, they're all, they're all competing on um, the price of key things. So, uh, you know, bananas... Uh, a whole a whole chicken um, uh, bread I can't think what else but you know there's there's kind of a uh, a basket of items that they all compete on um, for price and I think if they felt that one of the um, convenience store operators was undercutting them on something like that um, they would just cost cut until they um, you know hurt the convenience store how do you guard against that well, in, in this case, I mean, if their if their regular price is one thousand eight hundred ninety, I can't see them having the capacity. Well, I mean, they they're you know a huge retailer; they could potentially do that, but they would be losing a lot if they went from one thousand eight hundred ninety down to eight hundred. But yeah. I mean, really, most of the people that are buying our product are buying in larger amounts. I'm just pointing that out as an example on how how much we can potentially save people, especially people that don't have the financial liquidity to buy in those larger sizes. Yeah, and I guess there's the whole, um, you know, it's, people are buying in smaller sizes because they don't have the cash flow, they don't have the storage space, they perhaps don't have an easy means of getting to a big Walmart and carrying, you know, loads of bags of shopping um, back with them. It's, it's you know, it's, it's a different way of shopping, isn't it, versus popping into a... Um, a local corner store to top up on what what you're running out of for a couple of days worth of shopping. Yeah, absolutely. And another important point to point out too in the context of the circular economy is um, being able to buy, actually, oh, gram, a lot of people like to hear this too, what it actually means in Spanish. It means right. buy the gram. So you're being able to buy by the gram. If you live in a, if you're not a part of a big family, if you live by yourself, Quite often, if you're if you buy in a really big format, especially if it's got an expiration date, you can end up wasting the product because you don't consume it in time. Mm. So our system, especially on products with an expiration date, enables people living in smaller families or perhaps by themselves to buy exactly how much they, they want and need. They pay the fairest price. There's no packaging waste. And by being able to buy a small amount, they eliminate that waste that is created from buying too much because you're forced to buy in a larger format. So it sounds as if it's going down really well with customers. Um, you know, are there any um, barriers or reasons why people, um, you know, wouldn't wouldn't just buy into this rather than um, buy non -ref non refillable packaging? I guess there's there's a couple potential kind of pain points for the customers. One is that they have to download the app. But as we pull new brands and partners into our application, we create positive network effects and we create more incentive for people to download the app. So right now, as an example, here in Chile, we're currently working with Nestle and Unilever for a total of four different products. And we're in discussions with most major brands. I imagine a year from now, we'll have easily double or triple the amount of products that we have right now. So as we pull more brands and offerings into the platform, it, there's more motivation for people to download the app. But in general, people really like the app because it enables, like where I live right now, it's, it's very high density apartment buildings and people can do things like go to work, leave their, leave their packaging with their front desk person 
and use the app to page the tricycle to come and do a refill. They can tell the app how much they want. And you don't, it's not like you have to give the front desk guy $5 to cover the cost and then get the change and all that kind of thing. You just leave the bottle there, it gets filled, you come back and it's full. Mm. And it, that also creates some significant advantages in the context of COVID. With the packaging as a wallet, it's your packaging. There's no reverse logistics. Only you touch that packaging. And in the United States, where we're working with Clorox and soon Colgate, we've made our dispensers so they're truly touchless so that you can control the dispenser through your cell phone. So you just put your wow. packaging unit okay. in, only you touch, and then control the refill through your cell phone. Sounds brilliant. So um, tell us a bit more about the at-home refill system, because you, you mentioned that just now, but um, up to now we've been talking about people going into a, a store and using a vending machine. So the at-home refill system is we're using electric tricycles. So these kind of look like tuk-tuks if you've been to Asia. And they have a payload of around 400 kilos. So they can hold about 400 kilos of product. And it's the exact same technology that we're developing for the retail market, but on wheels and it comes to your house. We do this for specific products, products that are a little heavier typically and, and that have a kind of a regular consumption pattern. So we're currently doing this with Unilever products with our Omo liquid laundry detergent and Quick's dish soap. And with Nestle, we're working with their Purina dog food line and we provide that service through our electric tricycles. Mm. So is, that, is the um, tricycle service, is that relatively recent or has that been going for quite a few years? Um, that started, it was publicly released in mid 2019 but we worked at basically all of 2019, we were just working out the bugs, developing, optimizing things. And it started to scale up in January of this year. And we now have eight tricycles with Unilever and three with Nestle. Right. So um, perhaps now's a good time to talk about your, your plans for the next phase, phase of the business, because it sounds as if development's been pretty rapid so far. So I'm sure you've got some exciting plans for um, the next stage. Yeah, that's a good question. So basically, if we went back one year from now and you were talking to me, it would have been just myself and Jose Manuel discussing and developing what we call El Gramo 2.0. And El Gramo 2.0 is simply the packaging as a wallet technology working with global brands so they, they can sell just the product and not the packaging. And since then, last year, we raised a $2 million investment. And that enabled us to significantly expand our team and technology development. We're now, El Gramo 2.0 is now around 30 people. And we're now in the process of closing a major investment round, much larger than our last year's investment around. And that will give us financial capital to expand into key markets in Latin America. The markets we're interested in here are Mexico, Peru, and Colombia. And we're also going to be setting up global headquarters in Amsterdam early next year. And a couple of our other really kind of key markets for Europe are London and Paris. And then beyond that, we'll be interested in other key markets in, in Europe. But in the shorter term, those are, those are our key focus areas in Europe. So in Europe, uh, London, Paris and, and Amsterdam. And will that be um, with, the, um, with the tricycles or just in convenience stores or a mixture of both? Um, basically what we're doing 
is we're getting implementation partners in our in our specific markets. So we're finding people that can facilitate the process of El Gramo in, entering new markets. We're using the local knowledge of, of those implementation partners, and then also the knowledge of the brands in those local markets to figure out what the best solutions are. And so, yeah, we don't really know right now, but we imagine it will be a mixture of, of all the different options. But we see retails retailers being a really big part of it. I mean, it's pretty simple. The, the, massive, the massive amount of volume of CPG products goes through retailers. So we see the retailers being a really critical part of, the, of our distribution system. So we're in the early stages of reaching out to key European retailers to set up pilots in specific markets with our, mm. with our reasonable packaging distribution system. Yeah, that sounds good. And I think particularly the, um, the fact that um, you know, you can do the refills without touching anything and the tricycle delivery, you know, it's still your piece of packaging. So um, that'll provide reassurance for people because, um, you know, it seems as if um, the, um, the rigours of the lockdown and physical distancing and being really careful what you've touched <laughs> and all the rest of it seems like that's going to be with us for some time to come. Um, so what, what struggles have you had and what surprised you in the process of building on Gramo? Let's see. Struggles would be, I guess it's, it's common with any kind of technology platform, but developing the app, working out all the bugs there, the tricycles, developing them, working out all the bugs. Sometimes things take a little longer than you plan. Um, but I think those are all pretty common across technology startups, but we've created solutions to the problems and challenges and move forward. So I think we're doing good there. Um, as far as key strategic partnership development, the CPGs or the fast-moving consumer good companies, they seem very interested and keen. They typically come to us, a lot of them, and they're very interested in, in using reusable packaging systems because their CEOs have made pretty aggressive global commitments to reduce the amount of plastic that they're putting into the, into the economy. So... That's pretty, that's, we've got good relationships and opportunities there. But one of the challenges has actually been the retailers. They're a lot more, they're, they're less interested in innovation, it seems. And they move slower and are more complex to get to embrace reuse systems. But we're starting to see that change a little bit. We're seeing um, Loop, as an example, they've, mm -hmm. they've, um, they've got a lot of retailers engaged with them. And we're starting to get a lot more interest in and opportunities with the retailers as well. But I think they're a really critical part of the reuse kind of ecosystem. Mm. And are the retailers in, in Chile, are they um, mainly kind of mom and pop stores, uh, lots of independents? Um, or is it a bit like over here where there's a mix of independents, but there's also some of the big players like Tesco and so on um, have their own convenience stores as well as big supermarkets? In Chile, the... Retail environment is essentially Walmart is one of the biggest players. And then there's a bunch of big players, but they're South American. So they're, they're pretty significant in size, obviously a lot smaller than Walmart, but they're set up in the key markets in Latin America. Mm. And I should mention too, that we're actually starting a, a retail pilot in Santiago with four, it's either four, four to six locations. We haven't determined exactly yet. And it's with a significant a significant retailer. Mm. So we're really excited to start that pilot and start gaining insights and learnings from working with a multinational retailer. Mm, brilliant. 
And Brian, what are your lessons learned and top tips for other businesses wanting to either start something circular or go more circular? That's a good question. I think one critical thing is for circularity to thrive. It needs it needs like um, a diverse network of stakeholders supporting a circular ecosystem. So try and think about um, try and think big. Try and think from a systems perspective, and think about how strategic stakeholders can help you be successful. And in general, I find the circular economy movement is quite open to at least a high level pre-competitive collaboration. So try and leverage stakeholders and people invested in making the circular economy happen to support your, your growth. And we're also starting to see a lot of government initiatives too coming in, um, coming in to support circularity. Like um, three or four months ago, the city of Amsterdam announced that they're going to use donut economics mm -hmm. as yeah. an economic recovery strategy for their post-COVID recovery. And just yesterday, I saw that Ireland is looking to do the same thing at the national level. So we're now seeing national governments embracing things like donut economics, which isn't exactly circular economy, but it's borrowing a lot of key principles or integrating a lot of key principles of circular economy into the fundamental ideologies that Kate Raworth put forth in donut economics. Mm, I'll see if I can find a link to the, um, to the Ireland one. Brian, who would you recommend as a future guest for the programme to inspire people about the circular economy? That's a good question as well. I can think of a couple people off the top of my head. One would be Returnity. And the, the CEO and founder of Returnity is Mike Newman. I'd be happy to introduce you to Mike. Um, Returnity really quickly basically is like reusable packaging systems for Amazon type purchases. And they, all, they work with a bunch of other um, different companies and types of business models, but it's essentially all based on the premise of business through mail, which e-commerce has been exploding lately. So it's a pretty important area. Mike's a really interesting person that has some really good insights on circular economy. So I'd, I recommend him. And then a technology company that's really interesting is called Williot, W-I-L-I-O-T. And if you'd like an introduction to Steve Statler from Williot, I'd be happy to introduce you to Steve, but he's got some kind of next generation. They're not RFID, but similar in function to RFID. And they're Bluetooth or Wi-Fi powered chips that have a lot of interesting sensor technology and really interesting implications with a circular economy with that technology that's in early stages, but soon going to be ready for being integrated into various opportunities within the circular economy. Yeah, and I think so much is um, happening at pace in technology terms with lots of different enablers for the circular economy. Um, I've just been, uh, well, it was uh, now nearly about nearly a year ago when I was doing the um, updates um, to my circular economy handbook and uh, had to really expand the chapter on technology enablers and um, bring in things that even back in 2016, you know, I, I think I'd put something in about um, uh, AI, um, but it was it was like, a, you know, a couple of lines and now it's, you know, uh, a page or so talking about the implications of that so it's just um, you know developments getting ever faster and Brian what about um, you know what your contact details how can people find out more about you and El Gramo? Yeah sure if anyone has any collaboration opportunities whether you're a brand a retailer or a potential implementation partner for El Gramo in a new market I'd be happy to have a conversation my email is brian that's b-r-i-a-n at elgramo.com a-L-G-R-A-M-O dot com. 
Thank you. And I'll put that in the show notes as well in case people don't have a pen to hand. And um, is there anything to follow on social media or... Um, yeah, we're on we're on um, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and we have a web page. Our web page is lgramo.com, a l g r a m o dot com, and yeah, that's 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 about it. Right. So it sounds like things are happening um, absolutely at speed, and um, you know, lots lots of achieved so far, and lots to come in the next in the next year or two that could be absolutely groundbreaking um you know in uh, for consumer packaged goods and other things all around the world so brilliant thank you for sharing all of that with us brian and uh, i wish you and um jose manuel and the rest of the algramo team the best best of luck for the future thank you so much it was an honor to be here and best of luck with all your future podcasts thanks brian algramo has focused on understanding the problem from its customers perspective Sticking with the smaller size packs for convenience when you rely on human power to take your shopping home. Making it affordable and making life easier for people in communities without access to waste and recycling services. It's had an amazing impact. Brian told us that early on reuse rates were less than 10%, yet by 2018 they were over 80%. One of Jose Manuel Moller's light bulb moments was that to really have impact with Algramo, he needs to work with the big brands that are putting most of the packaging into the global economy. And then we heard about his fortuitous moment that led to, to talks with Unilever. It was interesting to hear how keen the big consumer brands are on this. And we can see how well reusable packaging schemes like Algramo and TerraCycles Loop are helping consumer brands meet their commitments on packaging and plastic reduction at the same time as strengthening their brand reputations. Brian and I carried on chatting after we'd finished recording and I mentioned an inspiring interview with Unilever that I'd heard on one of my favourite podcasts, Outrage and Optimism. It's episode 64 with Unilever's chief executive, Alan Jope, talking about some of the ways sustainability engages employees builds brand value, and is better for people and planet. I've included the link in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the concepts and practicalities including lots of real examples from around the world. You can find the podcast show notes with transcripts and links on rethinkglobal.info. Please let us know what you'd like us to feature on the podcast, and you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. You can get in touch via our website, rethinkglobal.info, or connect with me on LinkedIn. See you next time. <laughs>